Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. This episode is part of the DAO mini-series, which is a crossover series between the Brave New Work podcast and On the Other Side, where we talk all about what DAOs can learn from self-managing orgs with Aaron Dignan and Rodney Evans from The Ready, who are the hosts of the Brave New Work podcast. They are experts in the world of self-management. So this series is all about super short, bite-sized episodes where we talk about very specific topics and explore what DAOs can learn from self-managing orcs. Before we get into that, I want to give a quick thank you to Rabbit Hole for sponsoring On the Other Side. Rabbit Hole allows users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. The long-term vision is building the open credentialing system for Web3. And to build that system, it's important that they're decentralized. The Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in checking out Rabbit Hole or joining the Pathfinder program, you can learn more at rabbithole.gg pathfinder or check them out on Twitter at rabbithole underscore gg. All right, let's hop into the show. So on today's episode, I want to talk about showmanship. I feel like one of the interesting things about Web3 is that everybody's on Twitter, which is a dynamic that is probably not unique to Web3, but it feels like the town hall. And of course, not everyone is actually on Twitter, but a lot of people are. And so there are a few dynamics that Twitter plus tools like Coordinate, which I love that for anyone who isn't familiar, is a compensation system where your collaborators all are given an allocation of tokens or payment or whatever it is, and they are free to give it to different people within your pod or circle or close-knit group that you work with. And so it's effectively compensation that's allocated by this like network of people in a decentralized manner. And What these things tend to have in common is there is quite a large incentive to make other people think that you're doing work when you might actually be doing work. But even if you don't realize it, like there is this this incentive to talk more about the work that you're doing and make sure that everybody knows that you're doing that work, which I'm sure exists in companies like you want your boss to know, but you might not tell all your coworkers all the time and feel the need to prove that you're valuable. But I feel like that dynamic comes up a lot in DAOs. So I want to hear how you both think about it broadly, if that even comes up in self-managing orgs that you've seen. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Uh, It does come up very often. I think it comes up probably in any organization that's decentralized, where there is really authority at the edge, because there's not one narrative, you know, like when you work in a traditional company that's big, 
the way that achievements and accomplishments and contribution are narrated, generally speaking, is bottom up, right? So I, you know, I articulate the way in which I have done something that I think is important and should be shared. And then the person I report to collects that from everyone and creates a story and up and up and up the chain it goes until it is generally an abstraction of reality that doesn't mean that much, but makes us all feel like we got to tell our story. And if you're not working, hopefully in a system like that, and you're working in a very decentralized place, then there's the balance of, you know, what, what are you sharing because you work in a reputational system? What are you sharing from the perspective of transparency and wanting other people to benefit from your work? And what are you sharing to flex? And those things are related and they're in a complicated relationship with one another. And look, then we get into issues of identity. We get into issues of role. We get into issues even of things like written and verbal communication is not necessarily an indication of someone's abilities or contributions. So we get into the soup really quickly. And I would imagine that soup tastes the same in DAOs as it does in self-managing works. I love that saying. I've never heard that. Does it taste bad? I think I just made it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think it's a delicious soup. It's kind of like a <laughs> validation soup a little bit. Yeah. And look, part of what we believe in and and is so fundamental to this work is that human beings at our most basic level want to contribute and do want meaning from their work. But like that can show up in in systems in super weird ways too, because we also want validation and we also want our identity reinforced and we also want head padding. And like all of the more egoic sides of that tend to pop up, especially when we feel like we're yelling into the void a little bit, which is what being in a self-managing system or in a discord can certainly feel like. I think it's so interesting to play with these reputationally driven systems, what is reputation and how is it measured and how is it tracked if it is tracked and how is it used as a currency? Because you're absolutely right that you can play a lot of games to get this kind of like social validation in terms of just communicating what you're doing or not doing or what you're around and just kind of having a halo effect around what you're, what you're up to, which is different to me in nature. That's sort of like fame which is different than a reputation of I work with this person and they are really good. Like they are a sound collaborator. They're conscientious. They're talented. They're super smart, whatever it is. Like I have an actual side-by-side experience with someone. That's a different form of reputation. And what I find is that in these systems, if you just say reputation and you let it run unchecked, the fame version outweighs the other version because it's, it's, it seems to take over the, the narrative. But if you build your systems correctly, I think sometimes the other stuff comes out in the data about who they work with and who wants them on their team and you know how other people are drawn to their projects and their efforts, whether their voice or vote holds more weight with others. Those sorts of things, I think, also play a role. So it's, it's certainly uh, complex and messy, and I don't think there's a like perfect you know, app that you can just plug in and, and then you have it nailed. But I do think playing with what are different ways that reputation shows up in our data and in our system and how do we do a better job of differentiating between the reputation of a good collaborator from the reputation of a good celebrity is important and probably some of the work that's ahead of us. So I, I think to Aaron's point, parsing those things is really valuable. And that's a 
that's just table stakes is getting clear on what we mean by reputation and these different flavors. And I I don't think there are that many more than the two that are described, which is, you know, who are our spokespeople and who are really our practitioners or our core contributors. And once you've done that work or you've started to understand that work, and obviously there's overlap, these things are not so tidy, but I think one thing I see go wrong in places where or create friction unnecessarily is the idea that one is valuable and one is not, or that one can exist without the other. And it's like, as long as we're not confused that the person who's out in the world, like lighting the fires and banging the drum and building a movement is doing something that is necessary and important and isn't the work. And that the practitioners who are doing the work are super critical to building the thing and no one would know about it otherwise. Like if we can sit in that, I think we can be in really healthy tension between those two things. It's where one, we all think that we're doing all of it when we're almost inevitably not. And two, we think that only one is important or only one is valuable. The symbiosis. I love that framing because... I think a lot of times we either really idolize people who contribute and don't talk a bunch about it Mm -hmm. or only idolize people who are quote unquote famous in Web3. And I love the take that you really do need both of them. What I've seen that's been wild to watch over the past few months is that At this moment, being a spokesperson feels like there's a lot of upside to it. Everyone wants to have a lot of Twitter followers. Not everyone, but it seems to be like idolized. And so it's been wild watching people who are, I would say, more on the side of practitioners see the downsides of not being spokespeople. Mm -hmm. And I think spokespeople probably also see the downsides of not being a practitioner. But of course, you don't see that publicly. And so... I don't want to say that there's um, there's frustration, but I think sometimes there's a little bit of frustration because in Web3, social capital pretty quickly translates into financial capital. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a builder, but you're not getting in on angel rounds and you're not being able to make that transition into financial capital because you're very focused on the practicing aspect, I think there's a little bit of resentment there and and not in a way that's like, unfair. I think that it's totally fair. But it's been really interesting to watch that dynamic play out where some of the best practitioners I know don't have all the opportunities that the spokespeople do, not because they're not great, super smart humans, but because they don't sit around and talk about all the things that they're doing all day. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's an interesting, maybe that's not even true in just Web3. I'm sure that's true in other aspects of organizations as well, but it's a dynamic that has always made me a little bit curious about how to navigate that. Well, what's funny, I've never, I've really not thought about this before, but having been around traditional organizations for a long time, this does really feel like a parallel to the old like sales versus mm. product issue, (laughs) civil war. Um, So it's not an exact comparison, Chase, but 
I think in a lot of traditional organizations, because of how incentive compensation generally works around, for example, like enterprise salespeople, those people were largely rewarded for being out in the world, being spokespeople and representatives of a product and selling it just selling it. And generally speaking, in most traditional sales organizations, those people were compensated at a level that was a multiple of what the people who were making the shit that those people were selling were making. Mm-hmm. And and it would turn into a whole bunch of weird internal dynamics where, you know, salespeople are promising things to customers so that they can get that incentive and then coming home and saying, okay, you guys, now you have to build this because I already sold it and I want my check. And on and on. Those dynamics are very complex and they're also really well known. And so it's interesting to me that there is like a new version of this that's happening in web three that does feel so familiar and you just replace, you know, commissions with angel investment and, and there you go. It literally all centers around demand. If you can create demand in any form, in any avenue, that's a certain kind of a role. And generally speaking, in our business culture, we really reward the hell out of that. And then there's the reality that like demand doesn't mean shit if you can't follow through. (laughs) And so I, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a elegant solution to this tension, but I think that I think just acknowledging that like different roles are playing different games with different floors and ceilings in terms of how they're valued. And if we want to play with those, if we want to change those floors and ceilings, that's a conscious OS choice. And there are organizations like Favi, for example, where they have, you know, sales is on the team with the micro factory that is making the auto part, and they don't have commissions. They just get paid profit share with everybody else on that team based on what they produce. That's a conscious choice in their OS to say, we're not going to play the game that Rodney just described that like 95% of all Fortune 1000 companies play. And it has certain trade-offs, right? In terms of who would be attracted to the role, et cetera. But I do think that this is a little bit of a tale as old as time dynamic between demand and supply, quite literally. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And to me, what's wild is that Of course, people who are spokespeople aren't promising things per se that someone else has to catch up on, which is, I think, what actually makes it even more subtle but frustrating. I'm sure that it's there's probably a lot of frustration in the salespeople product dynamic, but it makes it more subtle because I think people don't at first realize that dynamic exists. But then I think over time, it becomes... A little bit more obvious, whether it's from attention or, like I said, angel rounds. I mean, I don't think it's all about financial capital, but I think it becomes more obvious as time goes on. And so, I don't know, it's always been something that's very interesting to me, but it feels like at the end of the day, a lot of this does go back to this idea that if you acknowledge that both exist and both need to be there, there's probably an opportunity to find a balance more broadly. And something that I've tried to do as someone who definitely is straddling a little bit of the line between spokesperson and practitioner has been like elevating the voices of people who are practitioners. And that feels like a step in the right direction, partially just because if someone asks me something so tactical about how a certain DAO has done something, I'm not the right person to answer that question mm-hmm. or give you a rundown of it. And that's been my best bet at trying to acknowledge practitioners and 
spokespeople. But I wonder if there's a better way to go about that or a different way to go about that that makes sense. I don't. I mean, I think you, you do a pretty good job of that. I, I've, I noticed that for sure in in the you know Twitter sphere. To me, it is about acknowledging and then deciding how we want to do that lifting up or do that beat rebalancing. Partly, I think it's about these two roles wading into each other's worlds regularly. I think it's really valuable for a spokesperson to lean into practice on some rhythm, whether it be a multi-year or multi-decade rhythm, so that they're not just completely full of it. I think it's good for people that are practitioners to find ways to get out there and and have their voice heard and see what that's like and how hard that can be. So I do think there's a little oscillation that goes into it, but also just accepting like these are different games with different terms and the thing that's hard is not the same. I mean, is Jim Cramer the the best investor in the United States? Hell no, he's not. But he gets 5 million people to tune in every Friday. And so that is worth something to the network and the advertisers. But no one's confusing that with like, this person knows everything there is to know about this practice. And if we don't like that, we don't have to play that game. We can choose not to. But most firms and most organizations and most DAOs need demand. And so they will pay for it. And they also need supply. And they'll pay for that too. Yeah. And the only thing I would add, Chase, is I think a lot of these problems or tensions go away or they get a lot quieter if we're clear on what we're trying to do. Mm. So, you know, are are we trying to make this one spokesperson more famous and <laughs> are all of us working to that end? You know, it might be that if if Chase is 10 times more well-known three months from now than she is today, that feels like for the DAOs that you are part of stewarding, the best possible investment of resources. And maybe we all swarm that as contributors and are like, okay, how do we make Chase like mega famous? Like, I think if we're really clear on what it is we're after, then we can pull the levers with clarity. Because then even if there is something that is architected around one person, it's with the intention of something that the system needs. And so then we don't fall into personal agendas or personal access to grind around who did what and what's more important because we actually know what's important and we decide then how the practitioner and how the spokesperson are both going to play to achieve that aim. So I think, you know, it all like it always does. I think it comes back to OS work and OS design and what's the strategy and then how do the roles follow that rather than what's the individual ambition and how do we contort our strategy so that we can get what we want. I'm really glad you said that because it does, it reminds me that you can contract, you can make agreements around how all these benefits and efforts flow, right? So let's make Chase more famous, but the deal flow that Chase gets as a result, maybe we share it or we split it or we have a stake in it or there's some kind of an upside. I think there are ways to to make sure that everyone is is taken care of that feel balanced. I really love that. And it feels like at the end of the day, what a lot of this comes down to is honesty about the benefits and costs that each individual and the group is getting out of something. Mm -hmm. Because when you have asymmetric information or just a lack of honesty about what's happening, that feels like where you have these weird dynamics. I'm even seeing this within Twitter spaces that I've been doing for DAOs where some people want to get paid for those Twitter spaces that they're on, which makes a lot of sense. They're taking time and energy. At the same time, 
there is an argument that they're being paid in social capital. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of interesting dynamics there as well that I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to, but it does feel like we would benefit from just being honest and open about those costs and benefits that everyone is getting so that we can come to some sort of agreement on what makes the most sense. Nice. I love that. What a lovely showmanship podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.